Welcome to God's Acre On The Go, a worship podcast of the Congregational Church of New Canaan in New Canaan, Connecticut. To learn about the life of our church, our in-person ministries, and the virtual connections and offerings available, please visit us at www.godsacre.org. Now, wherever you are, wherever you are going, we welcome you to worship. Church family, this is the day the Lord has made, and we will rejoice and be glad in it. Welcome to God's Acre on the go, wherever you are, wherever you're traveling. We're so grateful to have you tuning in. We're going to be looking at the resurrection story of Jesus and Doubting Thomas in uh, the Gospel of John today. But before we do that, I want you to prepare your hearts and your minds for worship and for reflection on the Word of the Lord as we listen to Sidney Anderson and Jody Davis uh, uh, play for us and sing for us, Bless the Lord, O My Soul. So 
As I said earlier, we're looking at the story uh, that is often referred to as the story of Doubting Thomas, and it begins in the 20th chapter, kind of the middle of the 20th chapter of the Gospel of John, and we read this. Um, Jesus, and again, Jesus has been resurrected. He's appeared to uh, Mary, and then we learn in verse 19, it says, when it was evening on that day, that's that first Easter morning, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked. They were locked for fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Now, after Jesus said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, this means a second time, peace be with you. As the father has sent me, so I send you. Now, when Jesus said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, who was also called the twin, one of the 12, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But Thomas said, unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands, and unless I put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, the disciples were again in the house and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, and this is the third time he says this, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands, reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Thomas answered, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing, you may have life in his name. Now, I don't know if you notice this, but that actually sounds like the end, right? It sounds like the end of the gospel, but there's this added story. Uh, It's a rehabilitation story for Peter in chapter 21. Uh, You may remember Peter denies Uh, Jesus three times. uh, And in chapter 21, Jesus allows Peter to profess his love for Jesus three times, kind of undoing that sin. So so, uh, at least in the Peter story, uh, the writer and Jesus are not content to let Peter languish. And the end of the 21st chapter, which is really believed to be kind of a second ending, ends this way. But there are also many other things that Jesus did. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that the whole world could not contain the books that would be written. So you kind of have this double uh, ending in the gospel of John. So the word of God for the people of God. Let's just take a moment and pray together. Uh, Lord, we bend our minds and hearts to your scripture each week, several times a week, depending on our practice, trusting, hoping that somehow if we kind of wrap our mind and heart around your word, you might allow that word to take root in our lives and actually to be a guiding force and presence within us. So we pray for that in this time together, in Jesus' name, amen. So I, my word, I I love the story of Doubting Thomas. There's so much that I I hope you take notice of in this text. And and I I do want to have a clear point for my message, but but before we get to that point, I, I really want to meander a bit. I want to kind of take something of a brief walking tour of this text, just to point out a few things to you so you don't miss it. And and the first thing I want to make mention of is something that came up in Bible study, that that Thomas really does get a bad rap. 
And honestly, I don't think Jesus or the gospel writer of John would have intended this story to engender such a poor legacy for Thomas. I mean, we know, or at least we suspect, that Thomas was likely one of the more courageous of the disciples. Earlier in the same gospel, when Jesus wanted to make his way to Jerusalem, which would have been really dangerous and turned out to be, Thomas said to the rest of the disciples, and this is in the text, let us go with Jesus so that we may die with him. That's not a shrinking violet right there. That's courage. And then in this story, think about it. The reason Tom, Thomas isn't there in the beginning, well, he's out and about. He's the only disciple not cowering in fear. He's, I don't know, he's running errands. He's getting on with his life. See, Thomas's name is forever linked with his worst moment, this moment of doubt. And I'll tell you something, Jesus doesn't want any of us defined by our worst moment, which is why, incidentally, there's a 21st chapter that rehabilitates Peter. Jesus is not content to let any of us be defined by our worst moment, and that's important to reflect on. Second little thing I want you to notice is is that doubt isn't such a bad thing. I mean, think about it. The Gospel of John enshrines doubt right here, enshrines it as part of faith. This gospel ends with a story about someone struggling to believe. Here we are at the pinnacle of the gospel. Jesus is raised from the dead. And what do we get? A disciple saying something we might say, right? Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger in that mark of the nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe. I mean, does it strike you as just odd and wonderful that the gospel of John draws to close with this particular story? I got to be honest, after uh, 25 years of ministry, the only Christians who really concern me are folks who don't have any doubts or questions whatsoever. See, Jesus and the writer of John take doubt seriously. Doubt's part of faith. See, that's what I love. The Bible is so honest. This is not, this book is not religious propaganda written to brainwash thoughtful people. It's not. This is, this is real stuff. In fact, doubt is so important to Jesus, he returned a second time to address it. I mean, Jesus didn't write Thomas off because Thomas struggled to believe. No, Jesus met Thomas where he was, right there in the midst of his doubt. And the final little quick observation I want to make before we end our tour here is verse 29, when Jesus says, have you believed because you've seen me? And then he says, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. See, that phrase, blessed are those who've not seen and yet have come to believe, that's a a knowing wink in our direction. I hope you got that. See, Jesus loved Thomas enough to return to ease his doubt, but Jesus finds those of us who've not had the opportunity to see him in risen form, but still dare to believe, he finds that, that we're truly blessed and dearly beloved. See, Jesus is saying, essentially in this verse, he's got a soft spot for those of us who make an effort to keep the faith, even when we've never physically seen the Lord. See, your faith effort, as fervent or as feeble as it might be, pleases Jesus, and I don't want you to miss out on that. Now, I want to get to the point that I'd like to address this morning, and I want to start just having you think about it. What's the issue in this story? At the very beginning, what's wrong? What's the initiating problem that Jesus is trying to address? It's the locked doors, right? You know, Jesus had been raised from the dead. There was good news to share with the world. A new day had literally dawned and the disciples locked themselves in a room for fear. The story begins with disciples sealing themselves off from the world Jesus came to save. The disciples have literally turned their backs on the mission that Jesus had been trying to give them. And, and that's a problem. Now, 
Jesus enters the room to motivate them. And, and I hope you noticed his form of motivation. He didn't chastise them, right? He didn't say, you fools. He didn't, he didn't give up on them either. Jesus said, be at peace, right? He says it three times, be at peace. As the Father sent me, so I send you. And then, and then he does this thing where he breathes on them and says, receive my spirit. Jesus somehow broke through the barriers, got through the locked door and said, hey, guys, I need you to calm down. It is, it's time to get to work. The spirit that has been in me, I now give to you. And it worked, right? I mean, the rest is history. The disciples unlocked the door. They turned toward the world. They got to the work of Jesus. And here we are 2,000 years later. You know, I... <laughs> went to mail a package uh, on Tuesday morning um, at the Postal Service. I, I'm not going to tell you which office it was. We, we frequent a couple of different post offices. Um, and I was struggling with the message of, for the sermon, and, and I had this incident. Uh, it was a fairly typical experience, but, but notable on this particular day. There was this long line of uh, those of us waiting to mail packages, and only one person was taking customers. Only, only one uh, register was open. Uh, other postal workers would pass behind the counter and, and perhaps glance at the line. And, and th- for those of us in the line, we'd kind of had the fleeting moment of wonder, will they open another register? Of course not, no. And, and, and sometimes when this happens, I get annoyed because I'm in a rush. But I wasn't this particular morning. And, and as I said, I was struggling to figure out what the, the message of the sermon would be. And as I was there, waiting fairly patiently, I think, there was this one employee who I, I know is very nice and friendly kind of looked at the line and then went to a kiosk behind the counter that had been clearly, this kiosk had clearly been repurposed from some other part of the post office. The kiosk was facing the wall, so so the postal worker was facing the kiosk with their back to all of us in the line. And at the top of the kiosk was an advertisement in the form of a question. It read, what is your priority? I, I look back at the postal worker. Uh, I, the, I was literally looking at the back of the postal worker, and then I was looking up the question, and then I was looking at all of us in line, and I, I, I had to chuckle because I thought, well, clearly not us, and we're not the priority. You know, we stood in those positions for a while, and I, I, I began to fight the urge to say something. I mean, th- honestly, there was a part of me that just wanted to be petty and annoyed and say, hey, uh, just out of curiosity, have you read the question in front of you as we all wonder if anyone's going to help us out? But then a slightly, and I admit only slightly more empathetic part of me, wondered if I should say, by the way of well-intentioned critical feedback, you know, I, I don't know if you've noticed this, but, but when you have your back to all of us doing other work with that question above your head, it kind of sends the message that we, your customers, are not your priority. And I, I'm just not sure that's the message you want to be communicating. At bare minimum, you might want to move your makeshift workstation elsewhere. Now, I was really tempted to say something, I admit, either out of annoyance or a desire to assist, but I stopped myself because I began to wander and wonder, what is my priority? Who is my priority? You know the saying, if you point your finger at someone, you'll find three fingers pointing back at you. I mean, so I asked my question, myself the question, who have I turned my back on? Who have I sealed off from my life? Who, who, who have I locked out? Now, and I think that's a, a good question for each and every one of us to ask ourselves, because the truth is, we have locked different people out, turned our back. And then after that, I started to think of our church. I mean, we really did lock the doors and keep people out for fear during the heart of the pandemic. 
But now, do we as a church keep ourselves sealed off from certain people or, or do we turn our backs on folks who need us, whether knowingly or unknowingly? It's possible. I'm aware it's possible to be locked in a room together without realizing we've kind of separated ourselves from parts of the world our Lord wants us to go out and serve. You know, it's possible individually or collectively to have some blind spots we need to become aware of. I mean, I, I read the story and I'm not sure those disciples locked up in fear, I, I'm not sure they actually thought they were doing anything wrong. It may have actually been perfectly reasonable. I mean, Jesus had just died on a cross and there were more than enough crosses left in the Roman arsenal for remaining disciples. I mean, if, if every leader of the faith was to be found, arrested, and executed, I mean, who would be left to share the good news? I mean, sometimes the separation we allow between ourselves and others is so reasonable, we can become blind to the fact that Jesus actually calls us out into an often hostile world on his behalf. He calls us to a kind of life that is embracing and hopeful and inspiring to others. And sometimes, sometimes we need someone to break into those locked places in our lives and tell us, like Jesus, that it's time to get out. It's time to turn and face the customers. It's time to make the people we overlook a priority. You know, sometimes, sometimes we have blind spots and, and we need a thoughtful tap on the shoulder to get us to turn around. And, and I know Jesus would do it in loving and encouraging ways, you know, whether it's uh, getting us to turn around personally or, or as a church. I, I was thinking about this uh, since our weekend, uh, God's Acre 4.0 weekend with Alan Hilton last, last week. You know, I wonder, does Jesus tap us on the shoulder and say, hey, don't know if you noticed, but your congregation's pretty darn white. Hey, don't know if you noticed, but, but you have members of your youth program who are struggling with their sexual and gender identity who wonder if they are really loved and valued by this church. Hey, don't know if you noticed, but there are some liberal folks here who wonder if this church is as conservative as New Canaan, and there are some conservative folks here who wonder if the church is as liberal as the rest of the United Church of Christ. Hey, don't know if you noticed, but there are over 700 new young families in town. Many, many have never been to a church. You might want to go out and get to know them, see if there are ways of being community to them you haven't thought of before. Now, I'll tell you something from personal experience. I have a lot of blind spots. And in my vocational life, as well as in my personal life, I've had quite a number of those blind spots pointed out to me over the years, thankfully in loving and encouraging ways, mostly. But I'll tell you, those experiences... You know, having someone uh, point out blind spots, those experiences have been some of the hardest and holiest experiences of my life. It ain't pleasant to have a customer point out the discontinuity between the sign over your head and a line of waiting people behind your back. But here's the thing. If we don't tense up, if we don't get defensive, if we consider the possibility that the tap on our shoulder is actually from the Lord, if we're open to the truth that life is really better outside the locked room, if we're, if we're willing to be moved by the breath of Jesus that is meant to propel us forward, well, then, as the Gospel of John says at the very end, there are many other things that Jesus will do. If every one of them were to be written down, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Let's pray. Lord, uh, help us to turn in the directions 
and turn toward the people that you want us engaging with. Uh, Lord God, we can make very reasonable decisions about how to be safe, and our desire for safety can get in the way of your mission. Lord, uh, this is yet another resurrection moment, and uh, you call us to the belief and to the life that that proclaims that all that we see, all that we're a part of now, is not all that there is. That this life in flesh and blood that we inhabit is temporary, but there is something eternal. Therefore, we need not uh, try to spend too much time playing it safe. Rather, we should follow you with reckless and joyous abandon. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, church family, uh, as you enter another week, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord's face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord look upon you with kindness and give you peace now and forevermore. Amen. Thank you for joining us for Worship on the Go. To support this podcast and the ministries of our church, please consider making a contribution by clicking the Give button in the top right on our website www.godsacre.org or within today's email. God bless you and have a wonderful week.